0: Alright, peace nicks. Pizza holics. Peacekeepers. All right. So it's been a crazy week. We did a bunch of cool stuff. We, me and my wife drove up to Rhode Island. Actually, we stayed in DC for a night. She'd never seen the capital, so we saw DC. Had an awesome dinner with my cousin. Then we went to Rhode Island, hung out with her friends. And we went to the Smile, which is Radiohead's new side project. Went and saw that concert. Then the next night we went and saw her friend's uh, friend from high school's band. They were really amazing at a little cool dive bar in Brooklyn. We stayed the night in Brooklyn, then we drove back, got back last night. And um, I'm just now getting to the podcast, getting the editing done. Today's guest is Kimberly Clark. She's a Navy veteran. Who is a survivor of military sexual trauma. After being medically discharged and diagnosed with PTSD, she struggled with severe drug addiction and alcoholism for 10 years. Now after finding recovery, she went on to become a peer support specialist. She published her book stuck between pleasure and pleasing God. And she is a Louisiana state leader of a national nonprofit organization, raising awareness of veteran suicide. We had a really great conversation. I was so happy to get to talk to her. So we're going to go ahead and dive on in.
1: America's public enemy number one
0: in the United States is drug abuse. Drugs are menacing our society. Your thoughts on the drug problem. I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the piece on drugs. drugs. Kimberly, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yes. Now, are you in? Are you in New Orleans?
1: No, I'm in uh, about 50 miles out of Shreveport, in Caster, Louisiana.
0: Okay. Yeah. I've only been to New Orleans in Louisiana. It's one of my favorite places. I'm
1: sorry, I didn't hear you.
0: I said, I said, uh, as far as uh, Louisiana, I've only been to New Orleans, but it's one of my favorite oh, places.
1: You know what? Like as many places as I've been, I've literally never been to New Orleans. What?
0: <laughs> Oh man, never I'm, been in New I'm a musician, so it's, it's it's a great place for me. Yeah, yeah. So you reached out to me. Um, you've uh you have a whole story that you that I'd like you to kind of tell and go over. You wrote your book, um, Stuck Between Pleasure and Pleasing God. Um, so we'll we'll start there, and then I have some other stuff I want to talk about with uh, addiction and how you've handled it, and um, because you know people that listen to our podcast, there's a uh, people that do, some suffer from drug use, some enjoy drug use, but um, uh, the people that are suffering, they can be helped by some of the people my, who have had these problems and have gotten through them.
1: Okay, absolutely. Well, I wrote, uh, actually first I got, this, uh, the book has been on my heart since I was a teenager, like literally 13 years old. I've had the title of my book since then, and so it took me all of 2021 to write uh between pleasure and pleasing God, and it's a memoir about you know having some childhood trauma, um, about you know being uh, like physically assaulted, sexually assaulted, emotionally abused, um, and then going to the Navy and uh, surviving an MST, which is a military sexual trauma, right, and then and looking for ways to cope with that. I struggled with addiction and alcoholism for the better part of 10 years, you know. And within those 10 years, you know, I was in and out of uh, rehab, in and out of psychiatric units, in and out of jail at one point. And so that that 10 years, man, it it definitely took a toll on on who I was. But I also found out who I was in the midst of all that. So the book definitely, you know, it, it tells that journey, but it also tells of, you know, how I healed. Um, how I learned to love myself right and and my passion behind helping other people do the same
0: that's that's really great and one thing you said is you know you have to learn to love yourself and it's something I think a lot of people forget about they f- they feel like they have to deal with their trauma they have to possibly forgive at least in some fashion the person who hurt them just to make them move to move forward. I've had to do that in my past but um forgiving yourself or letting yourself, loving yourself, showing mercy to yourself, that's a huge thing that a lot of people don't do. And um, I think there's some psychology behind it that they said, when you're a child, you can't um, control your environment. If you have an abusive parent, you're too small and helpless to, to do anything about it. And humans, we don't like to not have that control. So how we give ourselves control in the situation is we blame ourselves. And if you blame yourself, right. then you say, I can control this, I can do better. And if you take on that mentality, You'll feel like you're in control, even though you're not. And then when you get an adult, you feel like you are a horrible person and you're not. And you take that and that's where drug abuse happens and everything like that happens.
1: That's, man, you're you're right on point on that. Right on point. That's exactly, you know, how I felt. Like, I blame myself and I felt like, 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 man, what did I do? Matter of fact, I was so into people pleasing. I wanted to be liked so bad right and I was thinking like man it's my fault it's something that I did to make them do this to me but even then I was like you know man I I gotta get them back on my side they're mad at me you know what I mean and those feelings were so confusing for a nine-year-old and just man children having to go through that the turmoil they already go through you know plus on top of things like this so you're on definitely on point with that I, I definitely resonate with that
0: yeah, and it's really sad when we, have, we talk about children. Children are going through trauma. It's happening right now. It's always happened. And then we live in a world now where if you turn to drugs to cope, you're now you're going to be now hurt by the police, and it's going to be another form of trauma that's going to happen to you. And that's right. I don't know why we have a world that we, we don't say, hey, this person's on drugs. Something's going on with them. Let's help them out. Let's figure out what their trauma was. But we don't. We say, let's traumatize them further. Let's lock them up. Let's give them a criminal record to where they'll never get out of this. They're going to be traumatized the rest of their lives, and right. and the suicide rates are high. You, you talk about that. You talk about raising awareness for uh, veteran suicide. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's raise a little awareness on that because it's, um, it's a topic that everybody can relate to and at um, least empathize sympathize with. That nobody thinks better our veterans who are out fighting for our country should yeah. be committing suicide.
1: Absolutely, and. Um... I I work for Mission 22, Um, I'm the Louisiana state leader for Mission 22, Mission 22, we raise awareness to the 22 veterans that uh, succumb to suicide each day. Actually, you know, the VA has misreported that it's actually doubled um, in the last year or so. So yeah, there are 44 veterans that commit suicide each day. I remember back in 2018, I went to this rehab in Arkansas and I found out about this statistic. I didn't know that so many of my fellow vets, you know, were hurting like this. And I immediately knew I had to do something about it. And so I looked up organizations that, you know, that help, that, that try to prevent that or at least raise awareness for it. And I found Mission 22. And so Mission 22, we have different programs that are 100% free to the veterans. Um, we have a 12-month month Long uh, program called Recovery and Resilience, um, where you have a coach, you have groups. Uh, it's it's like you can be literally anywhere in the world and do this program. It's done mainly virtually, and they'll send you everything you need for like that whole year. Like they do they do um, stuff to where they send you like this 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 watch that um, keeps track of your heart rate, your blood pressure, things like that and it, um, it sends it directly to them. I mean, they, they're they really, really thorough with this program and it's 100% free to our veterans, right? They have a three-month program, six-month program. They even have just, if you wanna speak to a peer support specialist, I'm a peer support specialist, by the way. If you wanna do that, like I said, it's 100% free. Um, We also have a, a memorial, right? Memorial where anybody who's lost a veteran to suicide you know they can have them um they can have their name you know put in uh put in this this wall it's like a memorial in Oregon we have that and we have families all over the country that come to see that and that you know reach out to us to put their to you know that to um so their family can be can be uh memorized
0: that's wonderful yes so now if somebody committed suicide are they eligible to be on the wall this is it's not just people that died in combat or is it people that died in combat
1: oh no it's, it's just for the, uh, the suicide oh it's just the suicide okay yeah just for suicide.
0: memorize mem- 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 them that's that's a wonderful thing and it's also it's a tragic thing that we can't prevent the suicides from happening to begin with uh, but that's what you're working towards mission 22 now is this publicly funded or is this all just through donations
1: um, mainly all through donations. Um, there's a corporate side of it that, that I don't really know yet. Um, but yeah, it, it's a national, uh, national nonprofit. We have uh, state leaders and ambassadors in each state. Um, so yeah, there's a corporate side of it that I'm not, I know we do mainly donations because all of us, all the state leaders and ambassadors, we do events three, four times a month. You know, we, we sell uh, t shirts, hats um golf towels flags things like that um all with the mission 22 logo to raise money for these programs
0: gotcha gotcha yeah. so where can people buy that merch and where can they go to donate
1: oh mission22.com
0: mission you you
1: do, yep you can donate directly to him. mission22.com Absolutely. okay
0: that's awesome so let's go oh, get back into the talking of addiction how you got over it and you said you um you used the EMDR therapy. That's yes, that's correct. So what mm-hmm. is EMDR therapy? All
1: right, so don't quote me on this because I forgot this, the last part of it, right? I well, I didn't forget it, but I'm horrible at memorizing. So eye movement, desensitization, and repro oh, I got it. Reprocessing therapy. This is the first time I remember I remember that, right? So yeah, it's a therapy. Um it's meant to rewire your brain to where when you think about the trauma, it won't be so intense. It can be manageable, right? And so EMDR was a game changer for me. When I tell you through those 10 years, I was literally in and out of rehab, in and out of psychiatric units, trying everything from medicine to CBC to Um, you know, healthy relationship classes, anger management classes, to all different types of of therapies, and none of them stuck for me, right? And it's because none of them really, you know, uh, dealt with my trauma head on. And so EMDR therapy is trauma therapy, it dealt with my traumas, each, each one of them, one at a time, head on, and I was able to face them Right to face them and overcome that fear and have shame-free honesty in a safe space to where I could get all of that stuff out, accept that it happened, right, and then find a find a reason to move forward, right. And so when you're doing all that work, you kind of realize that a lot of it, you know, it wasn't it really wasn't our fault. And then we're also able to take responsibility for the parts that we did play in some of the situations as well and both of those together is is healing it's really freeing when we can you know take responsibility for our actions and also forgive ourselves and forgive others the people that hurt us and so dealing with those traumas um, it it made a, it made the difference in dealing with addiction because I mean that's addiction was just a symptom of a problem right the real problem is trauma trauma is the real gateway drug yep yeah absolutely.
0: yeah that's what I I talk about a lot on my podcast but you know, on Hari's book he talks about if the building's on fire the smoke is the addiction and if you try to blow out the smoke you're just going to fan the flames of the fire the trauma is what you got to put that fire out then you're going to get rid of the addiction so EMDR therapy though What actually, so it's eye movement, and then what was the other two? Eye movement, desensitization,
1: and reprocessing therapy.
0: So eye movement, I'm confused. So so how does this, what does the therapy actually entail?
1: Oh, that's the fun part. Well, um, there is either a a light, um, there's a green light. Are either they use like these vibrations in your hands that go from left to right to left to right. And the light also goes from left to right to left to right. And so your, your counselor, who's ever uh, doing the Indigo or with you, they ask you a series of questions um, about that specific trauma while you're either holding the vibration or looking at the light from left to right. And it's something, there's a science behind, you know, um moving your eyes or that left to right vibration you know while you're talking about a traumatic event that rewires your brain and so that's that's where that comes from
0: that's really interesting I wonder if that's probably something to do with left brain right brain and when you're going back and forth it's sending signals back and forth through each side of your brain and that's doing yeah. something it's And like you said, you said something about um, making the trauma less severe in your head, like making it less intense. And I read Mm -hmm. another way to do this is why therapy, talk therapy is so important, is when you're with somebody you're comfortable with um, and somebody that you trust and somebody that you don't see as a threat and you talk about things, you bring up things from your past that are horrible, you're rewiring that memory in a place where you brought it up with somebody you liked and and it kind of takes some of the intensity away from that memory, because now when you bring it up, you have the initial memory, but you also have the memory of talking about it with somebody you were comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of same kind of thing. We try to take our trauma and put it in a place that's a little less painful.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: So um, you did say you also spent time in jail. So the war on drugs has directly affected your life as well. And um, now you you seem to be doing well now in your past, all that. But for a time, it definitely affected you. So let's ask uh, how, how the war on drugs affected you in, in your life. Yeah,
1: man. I um, Addiction, and I know you've probably heard this a lot, it, it turns you into a completely different person, right? It, it makes you want the drug above all else. Um, my drug of choice was, was alcohol, cocaine, crack cocaine, Pills, pretty much anything I, I could get my hands on, um, everything but IV drugs, of course. And so, so yeah, it turned me into this this completely different person. Every literally every charge I've ever got is di- is a direct result of addiction um, and alcoholism. And so, you're talking to somebody who had a, a clean, clear record, right, and wanted to stay that way. Um, at one point, I, you know, even wanted to be a police officer when I when I first got out of the military. And so that that completely changed everything for me. You know, being around people that you're not supposed to be around, or being at the wrong place, um, you know, where there's nothing but drugs and and just criminal activity going on. But you don't care because you don't care about who you are. You just care about the drugs. And that's what was true for me. I only cared about the drugs. See, I'm country, and I'm not hood at all, right? And so I would go to different cities looking for drugs, um, would, would hang out in areas I knew nothing about, you know and um, and would would get caught up with with people who were who were pretty much doing the same thing. who would do anything for drugs? You know, I never got into stealing or anything like that, but I was around people constantly, consistently, who did. And so some of it also was domestic. Um, Some of my other charges were domestic. Um, Me and my ex-husband, we would fight a whole lot, a lot. Um, And so I married a a narcissistic man, um, extremely manipulative. He was emotionally abusive, physically abusive. And so he would, um, he would trigger me, right? Trigger me um, and I would react. And while I would react, he would call the police. And so, uh, so yeah, I dealt with that for about seven years. We were married for seven years. I was in addiction for six of those seven years. I was clean when I met him, um, less than a year later, I was back using. and so. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, In and out of jail was, I mean, I did, you know, I I did. I did most of it. So I can't, you know, I can't sit here and lie to you and be like, hey, none of it was none of it was my fault. That's a lie because I was in addiction.
0: Yeah. But that's the problem, though. Right. You definitely committed the crimes they're saying. But my my problem Mm -hmm. is, is why are those crimes? Why is an addiction a crime? Um, And like you say, if you're stealing for your addiction, the stealing is a crime. And that's something punishable. However, I would still go back if these drugs were illegal and affordable, nobody would be stealing for them. So, again, the war on right. drugs is causing the thefts. And that's the problem. You legalize mm. the drug trade. You allow people access to and use the money you're spending on law enforcement, on therapy, and helping people. Right. Then you're going to have a lot less crime. But then a lot of cops are going to lose their jobs. And they don't want that. They like the war exactly. on drugs. They want Exactly. They, yeah. Yes, and, I and, completely agree. Yeah, they need to criminalize uh if if basically if you make um marginalized people poor people and people that have suffered from trauma if you make their what you know their recovery which is how they deal with it through drug use you outlaw that you're going to have people that you can lock up forever you're always going to have customers <laughs> for your jails and i want a society that doesn't run on Basically, it's unlocking people up. That's what the whole system's about. Right. You can you lock people up and lock them out? Once they get out, once you've done your time, you get out. Why do you have a criminal record? Why am I still being punished for something? My punishment's over, but it's not over. Mm-hmm. When I go to get that job, that's why I like the ban the box thing. You should not ask me what I've done in my past if it's if I've done my time. But they do, they do, and now you can't get a job. So what do you do? You either work a very low-income job because you, you, know, you know the job you want is not going to hire you, but you can get a job, something with a criminal record, but you're not going to be the manager, the boss. So then you're going to probably turn back to a life of crime because you're not fulfilled, and you still, still have that trauma. So now you're back to using, but you can't afford the drugs you want because you're working a minimum wage job. So here comes the crime. Now you're back in the system, which is what they wanted. You're right. still a customer. That
1: cycle. That, that vicious freaking cycle, you're so right about that,
0: man. Yeah, it's completely mm-hmm. backwards in our society. So so messed up for it. But um, a lot of people, and this is going to bring me back to your book, Stuck Between Pleasure and Pleasing God. A lot of people that do find recovery, they do use things like you said, like the EMDR therapy, talk therapy. There's a lot of good therapies out there. But the big thing that most people seem to come to is some sort of spiritual practice. And that's what I had to do. My, my spiritual practice was more meditation and um, accepting, you know, being in the moment. But a lot of people turned to Christianity. Um, I'm guessing, with how let's describe how spirituality helped you out.
1: Okay, yeah, spirituality was, uh, was foundational for me. Um, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that, you know, I couldn't do this on my own, that literally all of my ideas, everything I tried, you know, did not work. And so the only thing I didn't try was a power greater than me. And in my life, God worked, you know. Um, I do practice uh, Christianity. Um, Like I said, that that was foundational in my life, man. When I say that um, doing those steps, right, those steps, and not even necessarily 12 steps because there's so many different paths to recovery. You know, the smart recovery, celebrate recovery, the 12 steps. Um, You have uh, women for sobriety. I mean, there's just a lot of different paths. But doing, making those steps to, to love yourself, to get to know who you are, right, and get to know who you were created to be and finding your purpose, right? I had to find my purpose and my passion. That's what really got me unstuck because now I can focus on, you know, I, I can focus on doing something that I was created to do because when we're walking in our passion, when we're walking in, in something that we were created to be, you know, that's, that's a, 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 healing feeling, like it's a feeling like no other. And so finding my passion, finding my purpose, um, and knowing that, that God was the only thing that could do that for me was the, was the change it was definitely the change for me
0: and um do you do you feel a deep connection with uh like the with Jesus and the Christian um belief system? I do. Absolutely. Absolutely that's, I that's, do. That's cool. I my my guest that I have that's actually coming out next week but if anybody listening to this it'll be last week's guest because you will be coming out the week after but he's a pastor uh Jason Robinson. he was a guy I grew up with. He was um one of those any drug all drug that pedal to the floor. He was moving drugs okay. from Florida, coming up here. He was facing all this time in prison. He ate like two hundred pills, um, and when the cops pulled him over, thinking they'd pump his stomach, and um, he woke up paralyzed. But then him, he, he got the ability to walk back. He tells the story, so anybody listening to this may have already heard it. But it was just a really fascinating story. But um, he turned his life over to Jesus, and now he's a preacher. His book is um, from the pulpit, uh, from prison to the pulpit. But yeah, it's um. Like I say, spirituality. He he really t- talks about it in a really passionate way. He was he's always been a in you know, one of those passionate guys that just anything he was doing he was one hundred percent in. And at first it was drugs in that game. Now it's God in that game. And he's like saying he's like I'm the same person. I'm just using my power for good now. I'm just helping heal people. And that's, so same thing you're kind of doing I
1: love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. So I want to ask another thing. So spirituality is very important, and it's, and it's talked about a lot. But another thing I find extremely important for me, and I think it's important for everybody, but a lot of people don't consider it, is having a connection to the natural world, to nature. I go out yeah. and walk in the woods daily, and I find that. Do you, do you do something like that with nature? Are you connected with nature?
1: Yeah, I do. I meditate, actually. And I only meditate, like, outside. Because that's where I feel. Uh, that's where I feel my best at and honestly that's where I feel connected at so I do that, I do that on a daily basis I meditate outside mm-hmm. you know, I'm just when you, when you get to a point where, you know you can look back at your life and all the things that that could have killed you, that was meant to kill you, that was meant to destroy you or meant to destroy your character, like there's, there's no way, you know, that a Navy veteran should have you know seven different things on your record right so many different so many different things that was meant to destroy you and when you look back on those things and and how everything has changed now you know how wow like even with those things you know on my record you know god still allowed me to get a job with the state of louisiana and i work as a peer support specialist now for the state of louisiana um I don't even know how that' even happened, honestly, like the, there's no way it should, but it did um and yeah thinking about those those things that you know that could have happened but didn't happen because we were protected, we were saved, you know that that's something worth celebrating
0: yeah. that's something
1: worth celebrating,
0: right well, and and like you and said. And that when you say you have you know all these charges and you were still able to get a job and be at the position you're at, I think if for your specific job and what you're doing, you need to have that experience. I don't want if I'm gonna go in for help with somebody, I don't want somebody who's never been through it themselves. They're not gonna understand. And so I think right. that's almost that that should be add add to your resume, not take away from it. Like here's what I've yeah. been through, but I'm not, you know, I'm I'm recovered. Okay. Well then you're hired. You you're qualified for this job.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the qualifications of peer support specialist is is lived experiences. And so, if there is anybody out there who you know has a criminal record like mine, or even anywhere close to mine, or uh, who has some lived experience, not only with addiction but with mental health, period, right? Becoming a peer support specialist. You can become a peer support specialist in any state, right? The training is like uh, between two to four weeks. They basically teach you how to empower other people, right? We can't cure them, right? We can't diagnose them, but we can empower them to help themselves. We can empower them to take back control of their life. And so I do recommend that if you're having trouble because of, you know, the addiction and the things of your past, peer support specialists, and that there are jobs. That you can work directly in peer support, to where you can use all that bad for good.
0: That's awesome. That's great. Um, definitely would recommend people doing that. I might have to look into that myself. Um, yeah. I um I want, so I wanted to ask you another thing about back to um, time in jail. I I remember watching. if you ever seen the show Intervention? I I can't stand the show, but I watch it sometimes for more research for my show, because this is a show that shows people what addiction looks like or what they are supposed to think of addiction to look like.
1: Right. And the reality is
0: you're seeing people at their worst in a system under prohibition and they're on camera, which is a weird thing that we do. So this one episode, and I've talked about it on my podcast enough to where some people might be tired of me telling the story, but the woman is a meth addict. She's getting dragged out of her house. She's screaming. The cops put her in the back of the cop car. They take her away. And her doctor is there with the mom. And the doctor looks at the camera and Mm -hmm. says, she's going to jail. She's very, very sick right now. And jail is going to be a really good thing for her. And it just shocked me to my core. Like, why not a hospital? She's very sick. Jail is going to be good. You're a doctor. Have you ever heard of a hospital? You're a doctor. I'm pretty sure you've heard of a hospital. That's where sick people go, not jail. But that's the mentality in this country with addiction is jail will teach you the lesson you need to learn and get you off the streets where the drugs are. And they fail to mention that you can get drugs in jail. You can get drugs in prison. But a mm-hmm. lot of people will quit, though, because it is a sort of rock bottom where they say, you know what, I'm going to change. Some people do. And then those stories are the ones that pop up as jail working. Most people, it doesn't care. Most people, it doesn't help. But I wanted to ask you and your um what you went through. Did you ever think this is going to be good for me? This is my point where I'm going to change going to jail? Or was it always just worse?
1: It was always worse. Not one time did I get out of jail and do the right thing. I mean, not one time. Like, every
0: We lost you. I lost your um, mic. Okay. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah and- I can, I can
0: okay. hear you now. Okay, you're back. So, okay, so also, also.
1: No problem at all. Yeah, it made me so so angry because it's so crazy. I remember a cop saying that. I remember him saying, "Man, she's real, real sick. She gonna be, she gonna be good in jail, and this the jail gonna bring it out of her or something like that." You know what I mean? You know how hard, I mean how humiliating and hard it is to have to detox in in jail, like. I've had seizures before, almost to the brink of death, trying to detox off of alcohol. In what way would that help me in jail? In, in what way?
0: It won't, you know what I mean? You would, can't cure someone who's dead, and alcohol withdrawal can be deadly. You could have, you could have a seizure and died, and then they, you know, what would have happened? They would have said, well, she was a criminal. That's what she gets. It's like, what about the hospital where she could have, her life would have been saved? It's but that's the thing, and I want. I wonder. I'd, like, I'd be curious. The statistics: how many people do die every year from alcohol withdrawal in jail? It's probably not a huge number, but I guarantee it happens. If they're not yeah. willing, if they're not willing to give those people the right treatment, then you know they're going to get. If they seizure up, they can die. I mean, it's a very serious thing if you're on alcohol withdrawal.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, it is, brother.
0: Yes, indeed. And they're not going to let you have alcohol in jail. And you know, I just came through Hurricane Ian, and um. We have some friends down in Fort Myers that are staying at the shelter and the shelters are really uh, dangerous places. Um, They're becoming dangerous. But one of the problems is they don't allow drug use. And some people are addicts. If you're an addict, you have to have your drug or you're not going to stay in the shelter. So what they're allowing is people are drinking alcohol. You can drink outside of the shelter, but not in the shelter. So now the dangerous areas are outside the shelter where there's no security and everybody's doing their drugs and people are overdosing on fentanyl out there all these things are happening Mm. because there's no safe place. Like we don't have any, what are they called the safe injection sites, whatever you want to call them, the harm reduction places. They aren't happening in Florida, not in Fort Myers, not where people are. I mean, but these people have been displaced. They have no homes, they're addicts. And you're saying, well, you can stay here. As long as you don't do your drug. It's like, well, that's going to be a problem for some people. And uh, maybe send them to the hospital if you're not willing to let them in there, but you got to help them out somehow and they're not doing it. And that's, Kind of the right. problem with jails, the problem with our whole system is this well, if you're an addict, well, that's your fault. Why do I I mean why is that our problem? But that's the reality is people have addictions. People are going through these things, and we need to be able to help them instead of harm them. And we need to keep right. them alive. You can't cure someone who's dead.
1: Right, right. And that's what like the harm reduction is supposed to be around, but I kind of feel um a little. I'm not going to say indifferent. I, I'm kind of leaning each each way with harm reduction because I agree with it and I kind of don't agree with it at the same time. It's like I understand, like people are going to do what they're going to do anyway, right? So why not give them something clean to use, like clean needles and stuff like that? But then I don't agree with it because it's, they know that if they don't have the certain items to get high, that they can go get it for free, you know what I mean. And so I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about about the harm reduction sites. I just did like a, a what is it um, a workshop. I went through a workshop about harm reduction, and the whole the whole class, which is with about hundred people, was split right in the middle, like fifty agree, fifty didn't
0: agree. And you're kind so of the, on the in the middle. Of it. Well. Yeah. I'm totally for it because my thing is people are doing it anyway. You're not going to stop people from shooting up unless unless you were able to get all the needles off the street and they just weren't there. But th- you're not doing that. They're, the needles are there, but they're sharing them. And I've, I've been to a house where everybody – I, I never really got into shooting up heroin. i tried it once. But I, there was a part of my life when I was smoking it. And I would go to this house and everybody was smoking heroin. They all just got into heroin. Fast forward a month later, I go to that same house to smoke some heroin and they're all injecting and they're sharing oh, yeah. needles. And it was just, um, and the thing is they had, it was in North Carolina, you can buy needles, but even when you could buy them, some of them were, um, they, it would be late at night and they couldn't get them and they'd run out and they'd be like, well, we'll just, but they, would. they knew to yeah. heat, you know, do some, um, sterilization. But the point is, is that th- these, once you're in that kind of addiction, you're going to, if you find a needle, there was a story in, um, Maria Salavis' book, uh, undoing drugs about, there was a, Place they used to shoot up in uh, at a club in L.A., and there was just a brick they'd pull out, and there was a community syringe behind the, the brick, and they would all just use that because they didn't know this was. And this was they all you know right as AIDS was coming, so yeah. so many people were dying from AIDS. So the idea is if people are addicted, giving them clean needles helps. However, I'm I'm not for that. What I'm for is giving them heroin, and they do this in Switzerland. You go to a place, you get your actual drug there, your drug's pure, and you get therapy with it. And then what they do and, and what they have, they have a 95% success rate in Switzerland because met, they don't want methadone. That's why they relapse constantly from methadone because they want, they really want heroin, give them the right. drug. They actually want heroin and give them therapy. And and then once their life gets back in order, they're going to realize, well, I don't want this addiction anymore because now I have family, friend, I, you know, my life's back. I'm happy now. Mm-hmm. Some, a small percentage of people will stay on heroin the rest of their lives, but live productive lives because they're getting it from a source. That's pure. It's affordable. And they, in a, they're in a structure, they're not having to search for it from different places and different houses and going through a trial some days when they can't find it, having to steal because yeah. they're paying too much money. And they might be on heroin the rest of their life. Some way, some people will drink alcohol recreationally their whole lives. But what's wrong with that? I, that's what I have a problem figuring out is, well, what's wrong with that if it makes them happy? I, you know, I, I had David this on my podcast. He was a heroin addict. And he constantly would just say, I just, I, I am extremely depressed heroin makes me happy but he would quit because he's like i can't live that life i can't be going trying to find heroin and paying all this money so he wouldn't do it but he would be really depressed and he'd say Mm -hmm. i'm happy when i was on heroin i was happy why can't i do that what like you can drink out he would tell me he's like you can go to the alcohol he didn't like alcohol so you can go to the Mm -hmm. store and buy enough alcohol to kill yourself but i can't do heroin i'm a criminal if i do heroin and i it's a good argument i think
1: yeah Hmm. well what about heroin destroying our bodies like what about the drugs destroying our bodies
0: well i I understand like heroin on the streets is much more dangerous because there's brick dust in it there's all kinds of chemicals fentanyl can kill you Mm -hmm. Uh, alcohol destroys your body way worse than heroin if you have pure heroin and you're a heroin addict way less damage on your body than alcohol alcohol causes all different kinds of cancers high blood pressure stroke um, also it causes violence. You can be violent to your partner. Most domestic violence happens under the influence of alcohol, most child abuse right. happens under the influence of alcohol. So alcohol is a much worse drug than heroin. And now you can make the argument that, yeah, heroin does cause problems with um, you know, neural deterioration in your head, as does alcohol. Um, yeah. but the, the idea is we have to say we need to be honest about the drugs that people have that, that mm-hmm. have access to. Say, well, you can get heroin, but you have to go to a doctor. You're gonna do do therapy, at least a small amount of therapy, to make sure you're okay. To try to figure out why you're wanting to use heroin. Also, and and then what we're gonna do is, and be honest. Say here's the here's what can happen if you use heroin the rest of your life. Here, just like same cigarettes. We don't outlaw cigarettes, but we do tell everybody exactly what they can do to you. That you know you can have heart disease, emphysema, lung cancer. This is all things that will happen or can happen. We're honest Mm -hmm. about it, and a lot of people quit smoking because it was on because of the honesty, the truth campaigns. And we right. need to do the same with alcohol. Alcohol somehow slipped right under the, straight through it where they, they just all right. the yeah, they they should not be allowed to advertise for it. There should not be commercials for alcohol. There should not be posters for alcohol. I actually, I used to be really annoyed when I get in North Carolina. Like, why can't I buy liquor in the, in the grocery store like I can in Florida? Like, this is so stupid. And now I'm actually on the other side where I think all alcohol should be sold in a separate store. None of it should be impulse buys at the grocery store because right. it is a dangerous drug. I should have the right to do it, but I should be told honestly the harmful effects of it. And I should mm-hmm. have to make a separate trip to a store and possibly even have somebody working there that has counseling experience that can ask you when you come in, hey, just hey, is everything all right? Anything you want to talk about? And you can just say, no, I'm good. And you go. But some people might get that question and go, you know what? I'm not all right. And then Boom. Them some therapy, right. them some help because I see mm. people in the liquor store paying with coins, pulling out coins to pay for their little mini bottles. I'm like, that that's a true addict. That's somebody who needs help. But they're not yeah. getting asked if they're okay, they're just persons annoyed that they have to count the change and then send them on their right. way. So I think we need to restructure our way our relationship with alcohol, but we also need to restructure our relationship with other drugs as in legalize safe access and Getting people help. That's my opinion on the whole thing. So harm reduction sites to me is just one way around keeping it illegal but making it a little less harmful. I I the illegal drugs are the problem. And all the people profiting from are dangerous criminals. Mm. Yep. If you if you buy cocaine, you have to face the facts and you can blame our government's prohibition for it. But the reality is you are buying your drugs from murderous cartel members that are chopping people up. And that's yep. who you're funding. That's where your money's Absolutely. going. Mm-hmm. And that's when I when I came to that realization. I'm not a big fan of cocaine anyway, but there was a time when I did a lot of it. But now I'm at yeah. the place where I wouldn't buy cocaine, even if I was like, I haven't done that in a while. I'd like to. No, nah, I'm not supporting those cartels. But again, yeah. you can blame if if you don't want to say, well, that's that's because of, or you don't have to put the blame on yourself. You can put the blame on prohibition. But the facts yeah. are facts. You're, you're buying yeah. it from murderous cartel. all
1: right That's true. That's true, man. And You know, it's crazy, like, the thing about alcohol. You never see a commercial or anything stating the dangers of alcohol. You never, ever see the dangers of alcohol. There definitely needs to be more, um, more media, more commercials, more anything that's telling you the dangers of alcohol and what it's doing to our bodies, what it's doing to our children. Because our children are taking it thinking it's fun and entertaining because they see it on TV as fun and entertaining. Right. And that's not at all what it is, you know. And so definitely we need to get to get more support out here. You know, just like we do with cigarettes, we need the same with alcohol.
0: A hundred percent. And it's a weird world we live in where it's like if you if you do heroin, you're shunned. But if you don't do alcohol, in some circles, you're shunned. Like you you better drink but you better not do this, but you need to drink. It's like when I, I go through phases, I like drinking and I, I enjoy it, but I go through phases where I cut it out for a while. Like I'm going to take some months off of drinking and just, and I work in bars and I play music. So people get they come up like, let me buy you a drink. I'm like, oh, no, thank you. I appreciate it. And I I quit drinking at work anyway. So I'm always turning those down because it was hard. If you drink at your gigs, which if you're a full-time musician, you're an alcoholic. You There's no way to, to drink at work and not become an alcoholic. So I just cut it out. But anyway, people – they get confused, like, "Well, let me buy a shot." I'm like, "No, no, thank you." And then you'll see the wife kind of grab the husband and be like, whisper something in his ear, which is probably like, "Stop." He probably has a problem. It's like, "I don't have a problem. I'm just not drinking at work." It's not. <laughs> yeah. Why is it a problem if I don't drink? It's so weird, but that's our yeah. society we live in. But yeah, you're right. We mm-hmm. need we need the truth campaign that we had for tobacco for alcohol. And think about it if you if you watch a drug commercial, any drug farm, big farm wants to sell us, they have the fun commercial. They're dancing, and then what does it end with? all the side effects so why aren't we doing that with alcohol here's the people on the beach drinking their coronas having fun and then may cause you know these kind of cancers this kind of uh, mental deterioration list all that stuff but they don't have to because they've paid off the right people i guess
1: yep that's exactly what it is that's exactly what it is but if more people stand up and say that it's wrong i mean we the people actually have more power but we we have to unite and do it together.
0: That's right. That's right. And that's why I'm going to talk about drug legalization because I've, I've had people talk about, well, I should be able to go to buy heroin at Walgreens. I should not need a prescription. If you can buy alcohol, why can't I buy heroin? It's a good argument, but my problem is we, we messed up with alcohol. Alcohol, we, we, we fucked up. So why should we make the same mistake with other drugs? If we can't roll back alcohol, we should try to roll back alcohol to make it, um, just like I said, less advertisement, take the sexiness out of it, put it in a separate store. You can still get it. Everything's fine. But you just are right. not going to get it the way you're getting it. And then, heroin, these other drugs, you got to go to a doctor, talk to your doctor. And that's how it used to be before prohibition. Most of those drugs were not available over the shelves. You had to go to your doctor, but doctors were like, oh, you're a heroin addict. Here's your prescription. And when Harry Anslinger started prohibition, the doctors didn't want to stop prescribing. They said, well, if I stop prescribing these addicts heroin, they're going to turn to the streets and their lives are going to fall apart. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So, wow. So I'll tell you what, Well, um, I'm going to uh, we'll wrap this up, but before I go, I just want to say, is there anything you wanted to add to the conversation, something we didn't touch on or talk about your book a little or anything?
1: Oh, uh, no. Well, um, just I guess let people know where to, where to, where to find me. Um, is that okay? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, well, the book, Stuck Between Pleasure and Pleasing God, is on Amazon. Um, I have a website, um, uh, KimberlyCares.info. And so you can, um, I do motivational speaking as well, so you can book me for that. You can contact me in any way if you need help or advice or resources, um, whatever the case may be. So definitely hit me up, KimberlyCares.info. Uh, uh, I'm on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, um, TikTok. On Twitter? I am on Twitter. What's your, what's your Twitter
0: uh, handle so I can post about it? I think it's uh, Kimberly Cares. Kimberly,
1: Kimberly Cares.
0: Kimberly yeah. Care? Yeah. All right. And then is that same on your Instagram?
1: Yep. Same on uh, Instagram and Facebook is uh, Kimberly in as in November Clark.
0: Kimberly N?
1: In as in November.
0: Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I'll, I'll put the post out there. Like I said, it'll come out. Not this. See what it is today. A week from this coming Wednesday. Okay. Well, it's been great talking with you.
1: Thank you, bro. It's been good talking to you too, man. I really mm. appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing this, for having me.
0: Thank you for reaching out. It's been great. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we'll do it again sometime.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. Well, good talking right. to you and peace out. All right.
1: Thank you. See you later.
0: All right. Later. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Peace, Knicks. As always, if you like what we're doing here on the Peace on Drugs podcast, subscribe to our newsletter at com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, Peace on Drugs. And if you really like what we're doing want to help out, also go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And, and once again, thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. Let's uh, keep fighting the good fight, legalizing pot. Um, speaking of legalizing pot, it was funny. Every, everywhere I travel, there's always different rules. And New York City was a funny one in Brooklyn. I went to this little uh, place and he was like, all right, here's the deal. You got to buy a piece of artwork. And then you get a free eighth of weed, and I was like, "Well, how much is the artwork?" And he goes, the, "The weed that you pick will ref- the gift. The price of the gift will reflect whatever weed you pick." So obviously it was just a weird way to sell you weed. I don't know if that's every dispensary, but it was just funny. And and when I picked the piece of artwork, it wasn't like it printed it out. He just airdropped you a shitty photo on your phone, and then you bought the weed. Anyway, funny stuff. But thanks for doing this. Thanks for being a part of this. And peace out. out. out.